This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. If you're to set out to help create the most innovative solutions to some of today's biggest problems, where would you start? Well, the Harvard Business School decided it would start with local leaders. Rather than start at the federal level where there seems to be such gridlock, they strategically and very intentionally have invested in today's local leaders from across a wide variety of sectors. So they started a program called the Young American Leaders Program, or YALP for short. They started in 2015, and they now gather 10 leaders from 14 cities across the country with the desire to create a cross-sector collaboration in order to focus on improving and generating shared prosperity in American cities. Well, my guest today is Dr. Jan Rivkin. In addition to helping to start the YALP program, Dr. Rivkin is the Senior Associate Dean and Chair of the MBA program at Harvard and a professor in the strategy unit at Harvard Business School. Well, Jan, once again, it is great to have you on the show. You have shared so many great insights. I needed to break this episode into two parts, actually. So this is the second part of my interview with you. And again, thank you for taking time to be on the show. Now, for my listeners, if you missed part one, you don't want to miss that. I encourage you to go back and listen to that as soon as you can. All right, now for the rest of you, here's the beginning of part two. Let's go into this next question, Jen. As you've worked with hundreds of leaders at this point, what are some of the key traits that emerge each time you gather leaders together? In other words, are there some common traits that really stand out to you uh, that characterize leaders who are change makers? Yes, I'd love to compare notes with, uh, with you on this one. Uh, the first thing I'd emphasize is the rich, beautiful diversity among the leaders that we've been fortunate to attract to the program. In some ways, the differences among them stand out more than the similarities. So I you know, just want, want, want to emphasize that. I think there are some common traits, particularly for effective cross-sector collaborators. I'm not sure I can say this is a set of traits for all leaders broadly, but at least for collaboration. Uh, I think curiosity and open-mindedness are huge, like a fundamental orientation toward learning. Uh, a second I'd put out there is the ability to see things from the point of view of other people. So ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see the situation from their perspective rather than just my own, that's really important. I found that the most effective cross-sector leaders in our programs have been those who are like practical and results-oriented. There's not a whole lot of ideology. I'd also say that the folks who are affected are really energetic and persistent. And, and I think the orientation toward learning and the persistence, for instance, it goes back to what we see when we do research on these collaborations. So I'll give you one little example of the research. So this is a project that co-authors and I are still working on, so it's not published. This is a preview. It may not pan out. So, yeah, but, but in recent research, colleagues and I looked at nine cross-section collaborations. We went to three cities, 
And in each city, we looked at one collaboration in education, one in violence reduction, one in economic development. And our research question is, what distinguished the successful from the unsuccessful collaborations? The key differentiator we're finding lies in how the collaborations respond to setbacks. So every single one of them encountered a setback. But then the question becomes, what happens next? Some of these collaborations responded to the setback by engaging in joint problem solving and mutual learning. Those tend to get back on, spat, on track and they spiraled up. Other collaborations responded to the setback by engaging in mutual blaming. Those spiraled downward. So I think those traits like the ability to see things from others' point of view, the persistence, the orientation to learning, all show up in collaborations that can overcome setbacks. And the setbacks are inevitable. That is really interesting. Now, um, let me just summarize real quick. Uh, so some of the traits you're seeing would include this, curiosity, open-mindedness, being able to see things from other people's perspectives, action-oriented people, energetic and goal-driven, but how they respond to setbacks. Would you say, is that the most distinguishing mark? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think the, the, the other traits culminate in a pattern of behavior and how they respond to setbacks. Because I can't imagine... Look, look, your nonprofit leaders that are your audience, I'd be willing to bet every single one of them is, has encountered lots of setbacks. The last two years, like the mother of all setbacks, right? And, and then the question becomes not whether you're going to hit a setback, but are you going to respond well to it? No, really good. Well, in addition to this, because of the unique challenges of COVID, are there some new traits to leadership we're facing today? compared to, say, when you first started teaching at Harvard or even when you first started the Yelp program? Or are there key traits of leadership essentially the same, regardless of the challenge or context? What would you say to that? So I'd highlight not a trait per se, but a skill. I, I worry about the notion that traits are inherent and inborn and can't be developed. I, I think most of the more, most important things around leadership can be developed, can be learned. That may just be like, if you're, if you're an educator like me, you have to believe in the ability of people to, to, to change, right? But, but anyhow, I'd, I'd point to a skill. And I think this one predates COVID, but it's become even more salient in COVID. And it's the ability to make the most out of differences. So, you know, look, we, we're operating these days in a world full of rich diversity. Differences along lines of identity, like race gender, ethnicity, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion, class, politics, nationality, but also just differences that exist between any two human beings, right? And I think there's a skill of being able not only to navigate the pitfalls that can come with the differences between any two people, but also the ability to take those differences and turn them into sources of imagination and creativity and innovation, right? This is one of the big things we focused on in the MBA program here at Harvard. You know, how do we create or enable our students to become leaders who can make the most out of differences? And I think there's a reason that this has become more pertinent over time. Look, our challenges, they're not respecting any of the boundaries of our institutions. You look at the immediate ones like COVID, you look at uh, climate change, 
they just span institutions. So the effective problem solvers are inherently working with people who have very different experiences and backgrounds than themselves. And how do you make yourself into a leader who can actually operate well in a setting where the problems don't respect boundaries? You've got to be better at working across differences. Yeah, it's a tough problem. It's a really tough problem. I will tell you, educated leaders who can make the most out of differences, we're still trying to figure out how to do it effectively. We're the early stages of a journey on that one. If, if, if any of your um, uh, you know, listeners have insights on that one, I would love to learn from them. Oh, I like it. I like it. Very helpful insights. Yes. Uh, in fact, I'll give, be giving out your email or giving you a chance to give your email out at the very end of the podcast so people can connect with you if they would like to. Okay, moving from traits, let's go to trend lines. When it comes to trend lines and leadership challenges you have seen over the last 20 years, and perhaps in particular, the last two we have gone through since COVID has spread across the globe, what are the most difficult leadership challenges facing our cities and subsequently our nonprofit organizations that you have discovered so far? Yeah, boy, there's a long list. And COVID has been, yeah, yeah. And COVID has been really revealing about this, Rob. Um, I think of COVID in different ways. One way I think about it is it's been like an x-ray on a civic body. If there was anything that was broken, we can now see it visibly. Like all the inequities, all the inequalities just came out in you know, vivid contrast in, during COVID. Oh, man. So there's a long list, right? Where do I begin? Look, inequality, social exclusion, uh, environmental threats, resource de- degradation, education, housing, infrastructure, healthcare, economic development, public safety, all huge ones. If you ask me about the one that is most on my mind as a rising concern, and maybe it's not the, the gravest concern, or but, but at least in terms of something that's rising, I look at and worry about the lack of civility in our communities or, or deco- a potential decline in civility in our communities. Do we have the ability to treat each other with respect and dignity? I, I think it's fundamentally underlying factor of whether or not we can solve the other problems. And I got to tell you, my, my biggest fear, and it's only fear now, is that the lack of civility and the partisanship and the lack of gridlock that we see at the federal level in this country, it could seep down to the local level if we're not careful. I'm sure your listeners can relate. They expect they can see instances of that that we would not have seen in the past. I, do, do you see this in Salt Lake at all? Absolutely. You know, my observation would be this, that I think it's ubiquitous. You know, regardless of what part of the country you're in, because we're all connected online and through social media, I think we've become very good at being connected with our tribe. And because we can find our tribe anywhere online, regardless of what part of the country we physically live in. So sadly, I, I would say that um, we can get in those echo chambers really quick of our own tribe. And that can cut us off, of course, from diverse opinions if we're not careful. And, and I do think that's leading to some of our lack of civility. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, when you see this played out on the federal level, it does bleed into our everyday discourse. So sadly, yes, I think this is happening in every city. I like your connection to social media, Rob. I think that's very insightful. You know, the symptom that I look at uh, or the example that I look at is what we see going on at school boards around the country. 
And at least as I understand it, when you look at the underpinnings of some of those exchanges, it appears that many of them began on social media. So I, I fear that human beings are not at their best on social media. You know, I think you were right. And the research is really bearing this out. Yeah. Okay. Now, for those leaders who are listening to this podcast and they really want to grow as a leader, they want to improve their leadership skills and become a better leader. In fact, that's why I started this podcast to bring on great leaders like yourself to share how we can really all improve as leaders. So what is your recommendation, you know, as to how they can move forward best in their own leadership development? You know, is it about experience, uh, more education, a little bit of both? Uh, and particularly those leaders who really want to make a difference, those young leaders who, what would you say to them? What is your recommendation to those young leaders? So first of all, I just want to say bravo for investing in the growth of leaders in nonprofits, Rob, and, and in your own growth as, you know, as a consequence. Uh, so just bravo to you for that. So as far as I can tell here, there is no one right way to grow as a leader, right? I, I think that people learn and develop in different ways. So I don't want to be a doctrinaire about the one right way here. I think essentially all of those ways of growing as a leader do involve experience. One of the candidates you put out there, I think there's no way purely to study your way to leadership, right? On the other hand, I do think that education can be an accelerant. When I've seen you know, good research done on how people develop as leaders, uh, I think particularly of the work of Hermi Ibarra at the London Business School. Uh, Hermi was a colleague at Harvard Business School years back as well. She talks about the journey that leaders take as they grow. And there's a model she put out there, particularly when she was studying leaders in professional service firms who are on the verge of making partner. But I think the model she describes actually is quite accurate for leadership growth as a whole. It has three steps on it in it. And I'm curious if it resonates with you from your own experience. The first, and I'll say a word about you. The first step is constructing possible future selves for yourself. The second is experimenting with new behaviors. And the third is evaluating the results of the experiments. So in that first one, constructing possible future selves, that's imagining different ways you might be that are different from how you are today. I think education can play a role in that. You can study other leaders. You can read histories of great leaders. You can also get this from experience. You can have role models. I think the plural of role models is really important, having multiple people that you're observing. But from that, you come up with hypotheses about what your future self could be as a leader. The second step, experimenting with the new behaviors, is almost inevitably experiential, right? You've decided that to be a leader, I want to have greater skill in inspiring others, or I want to have a greater uh, skill around empathy. You then try that out and in a real setting. And then the third part, evaluating the results, that requires making room for reflection. Like, okay, I tried out this new behavior. How did it feel? What did it result in? I think that can benefit from an educational environment, either a formal one or an informal one, a set of individuals who you're comparing notes with but again, becomes part of experience. So I, I find that kind of cycle uh, to be very powerful in developing new behaviors among leaders. I love all of those, uh, you know, and in particular, reflection. 
I have found in my own life, that is where some of the best learning happens is when we take the time to reflect. Yes, that's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. It actually is. Uh, I agree with you entirely. That's the step that people often miss because frankly, something will crowd it out. Something else is urgent. will crowd out that important step. It's also, I think, one of the things that I hope the Young American Leaders Program helps folks with is uh, it gives people a little time out of their routine to go off somewhere else and with a new set of people and reflect on who they are as leaders, who they want to become as a leader. Okay, one last question. Now, there's no doubt we are facing some huge challenges today, both in our cities and our country and globally across the world. In the midst of these many challenges we're facing, many leaders can really start to feel a bit overwhelmed, honestly, Uh, perhaps even experience compassion fatigue. And because of this, they may even get a bit cynical uh, because the issues are that big. And so I'm curious for you, in the midst of all the challenges we are facing, what is giving you hope these days? So I love the question, Rob. Absolutely, it's easy to be overwhelmed these days. I think the media, both traditional and social, thrive by delivering bad news and by you know showing us scenes of people shouting at each other and screaming things and so forth. My hope, honestly, comes from Yelp. Seriously, it does. So if I want to be optimistic about the future of America, I turn off cable news, I put down the national newspaper, and I spend a week in a classroom with these extraordinary young leaders, including individuals like you. And I will tell you, I come to the conclusion from spending time with real problem solvers that, you know what, we might just be okay. It's going to be a lot of hard work. It's not going to come easy, but we just might make it. I also find that the case examples that we develop for Yelp often provide real inspiration. They're not always about good news stories. They don't always have great outcomes. Some of them do. So, Rob, here's one. You can cut this in or out. I can tell you the story of one of the you know, recent cases, a case that's new this year. So you didn't get a chance to experience this. So, you know, one of the examples that we put into Yelp this past year comes from Chattanooga. So I'll harken back to Chattanooga. The city faced a problem that every single city in America faced. In the spring of 2000, schools had shut, remote learning had begun, and many, many school kids did not have the internet access required to participate in remote learning. In Chattanooga, a set of leaders, many of whom had attended Yelp or were in other ways associated with Yelp, came together. Uh, They were led particularly by Dr. Brian Johnson, who was the superintendent of the school system, the Hamilton County Schools, which serves the greater Chattanooga area. And they figured out a way to provide not just basic internet access for the moment, but actually fiber optic access for a decade to every family with a child who is eligible for free or reduced price lunch in the school system. It involved the school system, the public utility, the local foundations, the business community, the non-profits in the community, but they all came together and they did something extraordinary, not just to solve the immediate crisis, but for the long-term in their community. 
being able to observe and then document examples like that is a tremendous source of hope. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jan. You're in a front row seat seeing these trends up close. Thanks for all you're doing to help raise up these new emerging leaders. I have so appreciated your insights today. Now, how can people find out more about you and about the Harvard Yelp program? How could they do that? So anyone who can search online for Harvard Business School U.S. Competitiveness Project will find lots and lots of research. They'll find relatively little about Yelp. With Yelp, we've been pretty quiet, actually. Uh, We work through our senior champions and uh, kind of behind the scenes. This is not, um, you know, designed to be a big public project. We find that if we can quietly develop leaders like yourself, Rob, in communities around the country, that will speak for itself. But thank you for allowing me to spend a little time with your audience. And thank you for all you do in your own community. Well, once again, thank you, Jan, for all you do. Keep up the great work at Harvard and with this Yelp program. And once again, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Rob. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.